You're listening to Comedy Central. Over the weekend, America surpassed 40,000 confirmed coronavirus deaths and 750,000 confirmed infections. And because of that, most of us have accepted that as painful as it is, we need to stay at home a little longer until we can get those numbers under control. But it turns out there's a different group of people around the country who are saying, nah, how can we get those numbers to go up? Protests erupting coast to coast with calls to end stay-at-home orders. Thousands lining the streets of Wisconsin, rallying cries from Washington to Colorado to Maryland. Fired up protesters converging on downtown Huntington Beach today, holding up signs proclaiming social distancing equals communism and COVID-19 is a lie. We will not submit to communism or socialism. We will reopen America. Hundreds of people crowded in front of the governor's residence in Indiana. the right to tell me I can't get a haircut. I can't go here. I can't go there. While in Texas, dozens chanted, fire Fauci. Seriously? Fire Fauci? So instead of fighting the virus, they want to get rid of the one guy who's warning us about the virus? America is lucky these same people weren't around when Paul Revere was riding into town. The British are coming! The British are coming! Ugh, I hate the British. Someone shut that guy up. But yes, all around the country, over the weekend, protests popped up, demanding an immediate end to lockdowns. And let's be honest, people, this is both insane and counterproductive. Because the more you gather in groups, the longer the lockdown will have to go on. Can you imagine if during the AIDS crisis, mobs of people gathered to gangbang that monkey that started it all? What do we want? Monkey sex! When do we want it? Now! Now, these protests have clearly been infused with a far-right ideology. Many demonstrators wore MAGA hats, they held up anti-Semitic signs, and in Michigan, they even waved Confederate flags, a clear symbol of Michigan's proud Southern heritage. But it's not just fringe right-wing groups who have been stoking the flames. It's also mainstream right-wing groups, like Fox News. You see, after Dr. Fauci appeared on the network and made the case for continuing the shutdowns, Fox News decided to get a second opinion from a doctor everyone can trust. Talk show host Dr. Phil McGraw appearing on Fox News, blasting the government's response, appearing to downplay the pandemic. Look, the fact of the matter is we have people dying, 45,000 people a year die from automobile accidents, 480,000 from cigarettes, 360,000 a year from swimming pools, but we don't shut the country down for that. But yet we're doing it for this and the fallout is going to last for years because people's lives are being destroyed. Well, let me tell you something, Dr. Phil. Your entire argument is a bunch of horse hooey. Your 360,000 swimming pool deaths is off by about 357,000. And also, swimming pools are not like a virus. You're not gonna drown because your dang neighbor swam in his pool. The worst thing you'll get is a case of FOMO. Now, it would be a lot easier to not take these protests seriously if they were just being fueled by Fox News, and internet conspiracy theories. The problem is that all of these morons also have the support of the moron in chief. 
President Trump is praising stay-at-home protesters who are defying social distancing measures. The president defending the demonstrators after tweeting last week that states led by Democratic governors like Michigan, hard hit by COVID-19, should be liberated. These are great people. They've got cap and fever. They want to get back. They want their life back. Their life was taken away from them. Yes, people are suffering from cabin fever. And honestly, I can't think of any disease right now that could be worse than that. You know, Trump talks about cabin fever like it's an actual illness. This cabin fever, one of the worst outbreaks we've ever had. Even worse than that disease from the 70s, disco fever. It was so hard staying alive, staying alive. I, I, I was just trying to stay alive. You know, we're almost used to Trump drumming up outrage for his own political benefit. We're used to that. This is what Trump does. But what makes what he's doing now particularly vile is that on Thursday, on Thursday, he announced guidelines for when states should open back up. And then he spends the rest of the weekend urging his followers to fight back against the same guidelines that he released which is insane. It's like Trump is a head coach who told his team to kick a field goal, but now he's on the sidelines heckling them for doing it. Boo, what a bunch of losers. You should have gone for the touchdown. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? I told you to do it, but that's not the point. Now, despite how enraging this might be, I want you to remember this. The silver lining in all of this is that these protesters are a tiny minority. And we know this because recent polls have shown that big majorities of Americans support stay-at-home orders and, in fact, are more concerned about the economy being opened up again too soon. So the question is, when so many people appreciate how important this fight is, how do these people not seem to get it? Well, luckily for us, Sir David Attenborough has agreed to study these strange life forms to help the rest of us understand. And here we see natural selection in its purest form. A group of morons crowded together, spitting in each other's faces as they demand the right to get a haircut. Even for the coronavirus, this is too easy. Ever since coronavirus started, nothing has been the same. Policing is not the same. Relationships are not the same. Getting drunk at 10 a.m. is not the same. I mean, it's way less exciting if everyone's doing it now. But there's one thing that's remained surprisingly constant. And that's been the chaos within the Trump administration. Because where most administrations would be galvanized by an external threat, this White House seems to think of chaos as an essential service that they need to keep providing. And yesterday, it all spilled out into the open, starting with a bombshell the scientist in charge of the government's efforts to make a coronavirus vaccine suddenly got fired with no explanation. Now, he says it's because he disagreed with President Trump about pushing hydrochloroquine as a miracle drug, right? But then some people who worked with him said, actually, he was fired because he wasn't good at his job and he was working too slowly. And I'm sorry, people, but this is insane. We're in the middle of a pandemic and Trump's people are squabbling like they're on an Andy Cohen reunion show. And to make things even worse, when President Trump was asked why the guy in charge of finding a vaccine was fired, this is how he responded. 
I never heard of him. You just mentioned the name. I never heard of him. When did this happen? This happened today. No, I never heard of him. Uh, if the guy says he was pushed out of a job, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. You'd have to hear the other side. I don't know who he is. That's right. Trump has never heard of the guy in charge of finding a vaccine. And you know what? To be honest, part of me is not surprised. Sir, would you like to meet the scientist who's in charge of finding the vaccine? A scientist? Ew, gross. I'd rather meet Eric. And here's my only question about Trump. Why does he never hear of the people who are trying to solve problems, but people who are trying to cause problems? Hello, Giuliani. Yeah, some guy has the cure in his lab. I need you to get in there and do your Tasmanian devil thing. I don't understand how Trump has never heard of the person in charge of finding the vaccine to the disease that has shut down the entire world. And don't tell me it's because he's too busy. I mean, this is the same man, the same man who says he's been watching every nightly news show, plus CNN, MSNBC in the morning, Fox News on weekend afternoons, and even reruns of baseball, reruns. And let me tell you something, if you have time to watch reruns of baseball, you have time for anything. Baseball is boring when it's happening. Watching it in reruns is like watching paint dry through a PowerPoint presentation. And for this next one, But you know what? Maybe the vaccine guy is actually lucky that Trump doesn't know who the hell he is because the people that Trump does know, they have it even worse. Robert Redfield, director of the CDC and guy who owns a pharmacy in every Western, made news when he told the Washington Post that next winter, a second wave of coronavirus could be even more difficult to handle because it could coincide with flu season. And the idea of corona and flu hitting us simultaneously is terrifying because that means we're gonna have to do double social distancing. We gotta wear two masks. We gotta stay 12 feet away from people. We're gonna have to watch celebrities sing Imagine twice. Imagine, imagine, there's, there's, there's no people. Oh, and the president was clearly unhappy with what the CDC director said, because right after the article came out, Trump tried to call backsies. The president also trying to walk back the head of the CDC's warning about a second wave of the virus next fall, claiming virus. it was fake news. Totally misquoted. I spoke to him and he said it was ridiculous. He was talking about the flu and corona coming together at the same time. Bringing Redfield to the podium to clarify. I didn't say that this was gonna be worse. I said it was gonna be more difficult and potentially complicated because we'll have flu and coronavirus circulating at the same time. Ah, okay. So it's not going to get worse. It's just going to be more difficult and complicated. If only there was one word that could summarize that general feeling. You know, I'll be honest. I actually feel sorry for all of these experts who have to share the stage with Trump. Because think about their job. They have to walk a fine line of giving everyone accurate information but then also making sure that they don't say anything that angers their boss. In a way, working for Trump is like being married to Carol Baskin. One foot wrong, and you don't know what could happen. I mean, we don't know what happened, but we know what happened. And you know, the chaos of this administration would be bad enough if it was just confined to Washington, but what makes this thing worse, I'm sorry, what makes it more difficult to contain is that the chaos is now spreading around the country. Because last week, Trump encouraged governors to reopen their economies. But now, now that Georgia's Trump-loving governor, Brian Kemp, has done exactly what Trump is saying, all of a sudden it's like, oh snap, you on your own, son. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly 
with his decision to open certain facilities. I want him to do what he thinks is right. Uh, but I disagree with him on what he's doing. So do I agree with him? No. But I respect him, and I will let him make his decision. Would I do that? No. I'd keep him a little longer. I want to protect people's lives. You have got to be kidding me. Trump didn't just throw Brian Kemp under the bus. He basically looked up the bus schedule in advance, told Brian Kemp to meet him at the road at 3.15, and then guess who was driving? And you know, this is what you get when you roll with Donald Trump. These guys are trying so hard to suck up to him, and then when they're fully committed, bam, he can just sell you out. This whole Trump and, and, and Kemp thing, it sort of reminds me of Eminem and Stan. In fact, it's almost exactly the same as Eminem and Stan. Hey, Donald, I just opened up my state. Dare me to drive? I said that shit just clowning, Doug. How f***ed up is you? I saw this one dude on the news said he's opening bowling alleys too. And now that I think about it, oh shit, it was you. As coronavirus continues to sweep across America, leaders are trying to figure out the right balance between keeping people safe and keeping the economy moving while the rest of us are trying to figure out if we can grow tomatoes by planting some ketchup. Spoiler alert, you can. And even though medical experts say it's still too soon to reopen the economy, a number of governors have announced that they're ready to start easing restrictions. For instance, in Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp has announced that businesses like gyms, hair salons, and bowling alleys are free to reopen by Friday. Yeah, I'm not a governor, but I'll be honest, this seems like a very strange decision, you know? Bowling alleys? I feel like that should be the last place to reopen. You know, bowling, if you think about it, it's a sport based around sticking your fingers into a ball that other people just stuck their fingers into. You might as well tell people to join a competitive sneezing league. But while some are opening up their states, President Trump has announced that he's shutting down the border. In a 10 p.m. tweet last night, Trump declared that due to coronavirus, he's going to sign an executive order suspending all immigration into the United States. And my only question is, who is even immigrating right now? I don't even like going to the grocery store. You telling me there's other people out there who are like, hey, honey, uh, I'm gonna go to another country. Do you want me to grab anything for you? But this is a big step for Trump. Because remember, two thirds of his wives have been immigrants. So closing the immigration system is Trump's version of deleting Tinder. And look, like most of Trump's tweets, we don't know how seriously to take this, but it obviously has some people alarmed because after all, he is the president. Hashtag not my president because they didn't accept my ballots. And surprisingly, some of that alarm is even coming from the president's own advisors, Fox News. Many families here, including mine, we have au pairs and we rely on them. I go to work at three o'clock in the morning, so I need her there and I need her in my house so that she can help me with my daughter. So many families rely on childcare from other countries. These au pairs come here on work visas. They have to go back to their country to get the, the visas renewed. And we've been talking in my house about how that's gonna happen. So these are all things these are questions that we have that, that hopefully the president will roll out a plan and we'll all be um, informed on how this is gonna affect all of our lives. Okay, first of all, many families here do not have au pairs. In fact, 0.03% of families in America have au pairs. Yeah, you're more likely to have a show on Quibi than have an au pair. So look, instead of trying to act like this is an everyone thing, what she should really say is, damn, this new thing Trump did is really gonna affect me 
So now I really care. Because this is what a lot of people do with President Trump. They're willing to tolerate him because his actions don't affect them personally. And this isn't unique to politics, please. People do this all the time. I mean, people, people even do it with jokes. Yes, oh my God, Nigerians are funny. <laughs> yeah, Indians, Indians do that all the time. <laughs> that is totally Brazil. Wait, what did you say about Russians? Uh, it, it was just another joke. Okay, I wait for you outside and then we make more joke. Now, if President Trump goes through with this immigration ban, it'll be yet another policy he's pushing through during the corona pandemic. In fact, his administration has already shut down visa applications. They've paused the refugee program. They've blocked migrants from seeking asylum. And during corona, Trump's EPA even decided to drastically cut enforcement of environmental regulations. So don't forget, while you're finally getting around to watching Ozark and trying to bake bread for the first time, Donald Trump, he's also using coronavirus as an opportunity to do all the things he always wanted to do. The only difference is when quarantine is over and you throw away your bowl of yeast, Trump's hobbies are gonna keep going for a very long time. (laughs) Governor Andrew Cuomo, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Pleasure to be with you. I'm a big fan. Well, thank you very much. I think everyone is a big fan of yours right now because more than ever during this pandemic, uh, people have sought out leaders who uh, communicate effectively and seem to know what they're trying to do. Nobody has all the answers about coronavirus, but people look for leaders who know what they would like to do. Let's start off with New York. Where does New York stand right now in terms of the numbers and in terms of its trajectory? Well, the good news is uh, we have shown that we can control the spread of the virus, right? Which people take for granted now, but I wasn't always so sure. We could have taken all these measures close down, stay home. And we could have seen that spread continue to go up. That would have been a really frightening place, but that was a possibility. Uh, We showed that we can control the spread. It went up, the so-called plateau, it hit a flat spot, and now we're on the downside of the plateau. Uh, The question is, how fast is that decline? And uh, how long does it take to make the decline? We have about 1,300 people per day, new diagnoses coming into the system. Uh, We lost about 474 people yesterday, uh, which is a horrific number, but it's the only good news is it's less than the previous uh, numbers of people we we lost. And the hospitalization rate is coming down. We have about 16,000 people in hospitals. Uh, So the numbers are all on the decline. And that's the good news. How long does it take until that number gets to a uh, small enough level where you can sleep at night and not worry about it? Could be two weeks, could be three weeks, could be six weeks. You're balancing the pressure of the people who want to and need to get back to earning a living and also you know, the pressure of keeping people safe as, as a leader. How are you weighing these numbers? Is there a point when you say, the risk is worth taking to go outside? Yeah, that's, you put the, you put the question very well. And often the question is more important than the answer. And here is one of those cases, I think. That is the balance. The pressure that people are under is phenomenal. It is traumatic. This is traumatic for people. And that's the way I think about it. You're right, the economic pressure, you have no paycheck, but meanwhile, they're still sending you the bills, you know, 
There was <laughs> the, the bill collector uh, is an essential worker and they're piling up on your desk. You don't know when you'll go back. You don't know if you will go back. Mm-hmm. You don't know if your job is still there, if your business is still there. You've been in the house with the family for a month. It sounds romantic the first seven days, and then <laughs> it gets highly stressful when you have everyone in that environment with nothing to do and everyone has their own stresses. So uh, it's a, people are about to burst on one level. They're under that kind of pressure. On the other hand, we had 474 people die yesterday. You tell me how many people go outside today and touch other people. I'll tell you how, how many people walk into a hospital three, three days from now. The cause and effect is that tight. This, this virus communicates and transfers that quickly and that precisely. So you take a situation like New York City where Social distancing cannot happen by definition. Nobody gets six square feet of real estate, right? You don't get six feet on a subway car or on a bus or on a sidewalk. Uh, You will see those numbers go up. It is an impossible balance, Trevor. It's impossible to make people, to make both sides uh, happy, if you will. Mm -hmm. And you just have to accept that. Uh, And for me, it's going to be about the data. We're going to do testing. We're going to look at that hospitalization rate. We're going to look at that death rate. And you don't start to reopen until you have those numbers under control. So, so what is that number for you? Do you have that number? Is there a number that medical professionals or, or experts have given to you and said, this is the number that we think activates New York reopening? They won't give me the number, Trevor, because you're right. Nobody's been here on any of these situations. What they will say is the number will decline to a level that is basically a low constant uh, because you can't stop all transmission of the virus, right? We're never going to get down to zero. So when you get down to the lowest level you can, that's your low point. Because remember, the economy is not really closed down, right? You still have essential workers out there. You have people on buses and transportation and people in grocery stores. So that will be some low-level constant. And once we hit that number, uh, then you can talk about starting to reopen. So, so we're seeing governors uh, around America, we're seeing leaders around the world using different tactics to reopen their countries. For instance, in Denmark, they've started opening up a few schools. In Germany, they're getting ready to do that. In Georgia, they said they're going, they're going straight to bowling alleys and hairdressing you know, salons, et cetera. Do you have an idea? Are you going to say to New Yorkers, hey, we're going to start with these industries or this world, then we're going to move to this, then we're going to move to that, or does it all open at once? Do you have an idea of what that would be? No, it has to be phased in. It has to be slow and building. And watch that infection rate as you start to open up the valve to reopen, right? As you increase the flow, keep your eye on that infection rate. Uh, We're going to have the most aggressive testing program uh, ever done just to monitor that that infection rate. Remember, the hospitalization rate is too late. Hospitalization rate is people who are so sick they went into a hospital. We want to track the infection rate. So we watch that, start opening the flow slowly. And then basically it's a matrix. How essential is the business and how high a risk does the business pose? The more essential business is first, 
and the lower risk businesses first. So uh, barbershops, hair salons, to me, they are on the end of the chain because they're not that essential. People would argue, but in the scope of things, they're not that essential. And they are high risk because I want to see a person perform a haircut and maintain socially, social distancing while they give you a haircut. And I want to see the haircut that they do after they did it socially distanced. So that would be at the back end, right? And on the front end, you would just basically be doing the next tranche of essential services, right? What's the next level of essential mm -hmm. and uh, low risk essential? Before we go, if you are able to help people who are going hungry because of this pandemic, please consider a donation to Feeding America. They're supplying food to millions of people in America every single day, and they could use your help because even a dollar can help someone get a meal. Until we meet again, stay safe out there, wash your hands, and remember to mute your mic before talking shit on Zoom. Otherwise, the other people know who you really are. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.